this uh, past week, <clears throat> Lynn and I uh, had the fun and blessed opportunity to go um, back to Lawrence and to spend Thanksgiving with um, part of our family in person and the rest of the family uh, via Zoom. So we got to see all of our kids' face and kind of enjoy meals, meal together. Uh, but as I was driving down from here on to Lawrence, I had this sense in me like I always do, and that is I hope that we get there. You know, it's eight and a half, nine hours with a stop for at Panera's for lunch or Tepolche or something like that. Um, but you, but I hope to get there. And I'm sure many of you have experienced that. You get in the car and you're heading off in direction and there is a, either a spoken or unspoken sense that we hope to get where we're going. There is a sense, especially right now at the Advent season, at the Christmas season, um, that we hope to get what we want for Christmas. We have on our minds what we would like someone to purchase for us and put underneath the tree. We hope to get it. We are not assured of getting it, but we hope to get it. We could say, especially at this time of the year as we're coming up to Christmas break for the students, there can be that sense of finals coming. Then you say to yourself, I hope I pass that math final. I hope I get that paper finished in time to turn it on. There's no guarantees, but I hope that to be true. The problem with that kind of hope, this kind of hope that I mentioned, is that it's hope without assurance, which really, to me, leaves a big void in my life. That hope, the hope that something will happen, but there is no assurance. It's just hoping in hope that everything's going to turn out well. Well, this kind of hope is a insecure hope based into the circumstances in which we find ourselves. I feel hopeful if my life is going well, but it's insecure. If, if, um, if my car has a breakdown on the road to Lawrence, my hope dissipate, dissipates. Uh, but what I want us to look at today is not the insecure hope that's based in our circumstances, but the secure hope that we can have because it's found in the person, not just the work, but the very person of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible declares. That's where our hope is to be founded, not in the circumstances and the events of life, but our hope is to be founded in the person of Jesus Christ, uh, who is that gift of God, whose incarnation, as we sang, Emmanuel, God with us, that that hope of heaven uh, intersected into our world. This triune God that we worship, a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit came in the person of Jesus, representing the Father, filled with the Spirit, personally present with us. This is our hope, and this is what the Scriptures declare. If you have your uh, scriptures in one form or another, uh, we're going to be in 1 Peter, uh, the Apostle Peter's uh, first 
letter to the church found toward the end of your New Testament. And I'm just going to read the first section and then we're going to look at a smaller portion. But let's look a little bit larger. Uh, we're in 1 Peter, uh, starting right from the beginning. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles in the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bith Asia Bithynia, uh, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience to Jesus Christ, for the sprinkling with his blood, grace and peace be multiplied unto you. So there's our context. Paul, uh, excuse me, Peter is writing to the church that has been dispersed. Um, persecution was increasing among the followers of Jesus. And they were being pushed out of Jerusalem, pushed out into Asia Minor and around, and persecution was coming. And Peter's whole purpose of writing this letter is to help the church remain firm and steadfast and immovable in the grace of God, even in the midst of persecution. And it isn't it interesting, and this without my design or plan, that the triune God is mentioned in these first couple of verses. The triune God that we just spoke about, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, here Peter brings together. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. And to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. If ever the world was in need of hope, it's today. Our world uh, seems to be falling apart at the seams. Everywhere we look at those places that brought us hope in the past seem incapable of bringing us hope today, except for the person of Jesus Christ. Let's look at the just a, a little section of this uh, paragraph, this paragraph that Peter has written, where it starts out and says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where our hope starts. Our hope starts in, in the praise and the worship and the acknowledgement of God. 
And here specifically, God and the one who is Father. Who is Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who we talked about being part of that triunity since eternity past. We bless him because it is according to his great mercy. I think we've said it before that mercy is uh, not getting what we do deserve. We deserve judgment. We do deserve separation from God. We deserve, we deserve hell. But God, because of his great mercy, has caused us. It's something that happened in the past. It, the strength of this word is, too, that uh, it is passive to us. This is not something we are doing for ourselves or have done for ourselves, this being born again, being renewed, being a new creation. But this is something that God caused to happen. God is merciful, and so he showers us with his grace. God is merciful, so he made it to be that we could be born again, as uh, John writes in his gospel about Nicodemus' uh, conversation with Jesus. That we are called to be born again into a new life. We are to leave the old behind and surrender to Jesus. And as we do, we experience his new birth in us, the birth of the Spirit. And this, this being born again, Peter says, brings us to not a, a dead hope, not a hope that is based in our circumstances, but it is a living hope. And this living hope for us is secured through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. As we celebrate the incarnation of God, as we celebrate Emmanuel, God with us, as we remember the stories, the uh, events of that first advent, we also need to re be remembered that Jesus' purpose was not to just bring God into the world. Jesus' purpose was not to just be born of a virgin and laid in a manger and worshipped by kings and shepherds alike. But Jesus' purpose for coming, his reason for being born into the world, his reason for leaving all of his prerogative of being God behind, taking on human flesh, his purpose for doing that was to die. And not an ordinary death, a death that is, um, as we read and have been reading in 1 John in our study, the propitiation for our sins, the appeasing of God's wrath that was pointed toward us because of our sin. That Jesus came to die on the cross, and through that death on the cross, he becomes a sacrifice for us to provide what we cannot provide. But thanks be to God that he didn't remain dead. He showed the power of God through that, his resurrection. 
And as the scriptures tell us, we can live today. We can be new creations today because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because of Jesus' birth, because of his death, and because of his resurrection, we can have a living hope. A hope that is not based in whether I get to Lawrence and back. My car won't break down. It's not a hope that I hope everything goes well at church this morning. And sometimes, to be honest with you, just to give you a little bit of insight into what it is to be a pastor, often we pastors come to please you. You're the ones who we got to keep happy. You're the ones who write the notes or stop giving or go to another church. It's you who we seek to please on a Sunday morning. That is incredibly wrong. I've been practicing of late when I get home after church and we sit down for our um, noontime meal, whatever we call it, um, that noontime meal. My prayer is, Lord, I hope you were pleased today. I hope you were pleased. I hope our prayers were pleasing to you. I hope our singing was pleasing to you. I hope the what's in the box was pleasing to you. I hope the opening of your word was pleasing to you. Someone once told me a long time ago, we play to an audience of one. We play to an audience of one. It's, it's God. It's about him. So you're going to have to take second seat. All right? Just get used to it. But because of the resurrection of Jesus, we uh, have this hope. And know what he says about this hope. He says we gain an inheritance of Christ. What, was, what is Christ's, we get to share in. And notice what he says about this, this hope, this inheritance. It's an imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. It's the opposite of everything that sin does. Sin makes us perishable beings. Sin can make us completely, un, completely defiled so we can't stand before the Holy One. Sin uh, takes what we do and kind of just washes it into grayness and often to black. But the inheritance we have in Christ is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. I wish I could um, read for you without stumbling uh, Paul's writing in the Greek here. You know, I mean, Peter's. Um, often we think of Peter. When we think of Peter, we think of that big, put him in your mind. You think of that big, bungling fisherman who often said things that when it came out of his mouth, he realized, hmm, I should have never said that. Remember, he was the one that was trying to convince Jesus not to go to Jerusalem to die. And Jesus has to turn around and say to him, Peter, get behind me because you were speaking as of Satan. I don't know about you, but that's not the rebuke I'd want to hear. But that Peter, 
takes this whole section and every key word from uh, inheritance to imperishable to undefiled and unfading. And uh, later on down the passage, they all start with the same letter and end with the same last three letters. I mean, Peter worked hard here. It has a rolling for the, for the Hebrew ear, for the, excuse me, for the Greek ear. It was just rolling off of his lips. It made music to them. He wanted to understand this hope that we have, not based in circumstances, but based in God. And it's kept in heaven for you. It's not something that will, this inheritance is not something we work for, but it's already placed there. It's kept in, in, um, in account for us. For us to enjoy, and it won't waste away. Linda's uh, mom and dad and their great generosity and foresight and love for their kids uh, set aside uh, money so that when they would uh, head to heaven, there would be something left for their three children. Um, and they were very generous and very kind and were thinking ahead for us and left us a good inheritance that we have enjoyed and hopefully will will last as long as we do. But there's one thing I've noticed about their great gift of, in, of inheritance is that when I check the balance sheet from the stocks and bonds, it is fading. <laughs> there is less today than there was before. And that's just the way it is with things of earth. But look at the great news. God's inheritance for us doesn't fade. It doesn't get spent up. It's, it's always there. In fact, maybe it's compounding interest. It will be there for eternity for us. God keeps it safe. I never watched the stock market until I had stocks, you know, Never worried about those things until there is something to worry about. God says, don't worry about it. I've got it kept for you. Your hope is not based in the bank or in the stock market. But it's based in God who's keeping it for us. It's being guarded for us. And it comes to us again, as he says, through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. It's a salvation that we enjoy now, our sins are forgiven now, but there's a sense of fullness of revelation. We will see that inheritance. We will see Jesus, who is our hope. In fact, the scriptures seem to make clear that when that hope is fulfilled, we really won't need hope anymore because we'll have it. When I get to Lawrence, I don't have to hope that I'll get to Lawrence because I'm there. I can hope I have all the things at the Thanksgiving meal that I want to have. I can hope that my wife will make a delicious apple pie. 
which she did. And my hope was fulfilled. But there is a salvation that is coming for us at the, at the end. And that God is guarding for us. And no one will take it away. And as we place our hope in Jesus, the secure one, the one who is the eternal God, our hope is secure. And that can help us live at peace. Just a little side note, if we go a little farther on in that whole passage and come to what would be um, verse 23. He says, since you have been born again, since what we talked about in verse uh, 3 is true, since you have been born again, not only, here's the word again, not only of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Our hope is in Jesus Christ and we become assured of it as we abide in God's word and as Jesus is recorded in John's gospel, his word abides in us. That we abide in Jesus and Jesus abides in us. Like we told the kids, the word of God is a gift to us that helps us see in detail even the small things. As we spend time in God's word, we know more of God. We know more of his hope. So what is our response to be? What, what does it mean for us to um, be living in the midst of that living hope? Is there a responsibility? Is there a way that it affects our lives now? And I think there are. That's where the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. He says, uh, for this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially to those who believe. Now, it can sound kind of rough that we are to toil and strive. We think, isn't salvation a gift from God? And it is. It's received uh, by our faith in him. But what Paul is telling Timothy here is he goes, because of the hope that we have in Jesus, our living hope, we can work together. We can move forward as God's children. We can Move forward as the church, as the body of Christ. We work hard because we have hope. Because we have hope. Because we have seen God provide over and over and over again. So there's our responsibility. Our responsibility is because of the living hope, because of the inheritance that we have, we can move forward. We can be strong, steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for our work in Jesus is never anything to be ashamed of. God's word will accomplish what it's set out to do. So there's, there's good news for us, brothers and sisters. We have a hope that is living, that is available to you as you trust in the person of Jesus Christ and his work 
Not your work, not my work, not the church's work, but in Christ's completed work upon the cross. And there we have hope, and hope that does not disappoint. Pray with me, would you? We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.